Hello, and welcome to the Anime Explorations Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Tora. I'm David. All right, and it is the month of November, which means, among other things, this is also the month that KomoraCon is in uh, Oregon. Uh, and I went this year. So that was fun. Um, they put it this As year. As the con scene recovered. <laughs> yeah. I... Honestly, KomoraCon was pretty, pretty decent this year. Nice. Uh, we we didn't go because that was the weekend. Luke was really really sick. <laughs> yeah, I, I did run into some of our other mutual friends um, at the convention. Um, yeah, I, I saw the pictures and I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so there had like eleven thousand attendees at Comoricon this year. So we've got about half of the convention center, and also. Um, the directly adjacent hotel. Um, I actually spent a little bit of time at the hotel this year, um, or like checking out the viewing rooms and the gunpla room. Um, this year, taking a took a few pictures of the entrance in the um, gunpla competition. I think at this point, um, by the time this goes live, I will have had put pictures, uh, photo galleries of my hall cosplay photos I took. The Photos I managed to take of varying degrees of quality of the cosplay contest and the gunplug competition entrance. So those should be up on the blog for those who are interested in checking this out. I will put a link in the doobly-doo for those who are watching or listening, listening to the podcast on places other than the blog. Um, but we also had our first anime voice, like Japanese anime voice actress guest this year. We've had Japanese industry guests. We've had Studio Trigger's been... A recurring uh, guest at the convention. Um, we had Yoshitaka Amano one year, um, but this year we had uh, Kana uh, Ueda, who is probably best known at this point for being the voice of Rin from the Fate franchise at the convention. She did a couple uh, Q&A panels and an autograph signing, so I got some stuff signed. Nice. Also, like, from all the the things I've heard negatively about horse about um, strictly Q and A audience panels, like the, I have appreciated that generally Comoricon Q and A panels are generally well done. I will say, in terms of like the the of our audience behavior and the questions being asked and that sort of thing. That's good. Yep. Nice. Uh, Sounds like a fun time. Indeed it was. Uh, definitely looking forward to next year. It's going to be a couple weeks earlier, still in November, but it's going to be like a uh, weekend of the 4th or so, like the, the first weekend in November. So you, it's not as much of a case of having to, having the convention be literally the week weekend before uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Better to space it out a little bit. Yeah. All right. Um, so as far as stuff being stuff watching, um, you're still watching Jujutsu Kaisen? Yeah. I uh, got through everything that's uh, been released, which I think is 17 episodes into the second season. Uh, I've watched so much anime for the past few weeks because my computer has been monopolized by someone else playing Baldur's Gate 3. It was me! <laughs> <laughs> 
because apparently it it uh, it's a little too big to go onto her little MacBook, so she's been using my computer. Uh, uh, so I'm like, ah, so I just park myself on Crunchyroll, and I'm like, I've got so many things on my watch list. What have you gone through? Um, um, I've fully caught up on all three seasons of Rising of the Shield Hero. Uh, went through uh, Mushoku Mushoku Tensei or Mushoku Tensei? Mushoku Tensei uh, is how I've heard it pronounced. Okay, yeah. I'm uh, not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a bunch of things. Uh, finally finished up uh, Space Battleship Yamato. Old school, but... No, the, the newer one. Yeah, the, the old school one is not available for streaming anywhere. Um, the DVD, the DVD box sets for the original Star Blazers used are getting to a more reasonable price, and by more reasonable, I mean fifty dollars for a season, as opposed to a hundred dollars for a season with the bare bones release with no extras, which is what it was going for before. Yeah. Are they actually released by season, though, as opposed to here's four to six episodes so per disc? <laughs> this, these, these were released by season. Like It was like, here's the uh, Iskandar arc. Here's the Comet Empire Ooh, arc. Kind of nice. <laughs> which is basically like about one season. Um, yeah. But again, it was like 100 bucks each back in the day. No bonus features. None of that stuff. So, And this is, again, strictly the Star Blazers versions with the relevant adjustments like oh there are no dead people in this tank nobody actually dies ever no because this is 1970s television no no and somebody's brought over to the u.s for children's consumption yep we, we are not star blazers was pre-robotech wasn't it? that is correct it was um star blazers then robotech came later and robotech was the one like okay no we're actually gonna we're actually gonna kill characters off like kill characters off and keep them killed off if they're died in the source material kind of thing. We're going to trust our audiences to um, respect that. Yeah, like, when when dealing with Robotech, I am genuinely staggered by how faithful they made it to all three series they, they smooshed together. <sighs> not, not to say I don't hate Harmony Gold and they're just iron grip. On distribution with a fiery passion, but in the eighties, they, you know, Carl Massey did a really damn good job. And it says a lot that, like, when Carl, like Carl Masick did eventually end up parting ways with Harmony Gold and went and did Streamline Pictures and directed lots of other equally faithful dubs for shows that we now remember fondly, or shows and movies that we now remember fondly, like the original Akira dub. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, we might as well get into yelling at each other across the city. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, actually, before I forget, um, one tie in, um, they did announce one of their guests of honor for next year, and it is going to be Johnny Young Bosch, who is on the pioneer Acura dub. Johnny Young Bosch, amongst many, many other things. Oh, yes, he is an incredibly prolific actor. Um, like he's uh, bashed the stampede in both the original and the new series. Um, so much stuff. We're going to get to talk about him in Fate Zero at some point with him getting wonderfully cast against type in that series. Uh, 
Like, I remember the first thing I saw him in, which was Power Rangers. Yep. He was the second Black Ranger. And honestly, he did he, was, he did a fine job. Um, he's returned to the franchise a couple of times. And he's just uh, a- yeah, but and yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about Johnny Rush. From everything I know, he's a wonderful person. Absolutely, I am definitely like I normally don't do voice actor like dub actor panels at conventions. Um, but I think if I can get in to see Johnny Young Bosch and he's not scheduled opposite another thing I want to go to, um, I'm definitely going to try to make some of his panels at KamoraCon next year. Might even go get some stuff signed. This is kind of off topic, but I just want to quickly shout out to the, the Baldur's Gate 3 voice actors. They've been really active on TikTok and other social media, and they all seem like fantastic people. <laughs> I would hang out with them. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. So with that let's let's get into our anime for the month, Tsukihime. Is it officially just Tsukihime, or is it officially? It's Lunar Legend Tsukihime. Yeah. Yes. If you want, if you want to get really nitpicky with the with the the subtitles, then you get to. Lunar Legend Tsukihime, Blue Blue Glass Moon Under the Crimson Air. But then we start getting into light novel title length, and that's just silly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally different moon princess than Sailor Moon. Absolutely. We watched this on DVD, and it had been a while since I watched an anime on DVD. It had that whole like upcoming releases preview that you can't skip before you get to the venue. That just took me back, man. <laughs> yes. This, uh, Remember when that was the only way to watch? This is not available for streaming on any... It, 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 actually, it is. It oh, is it on is. High Dive. Oh, it is on High Dive. Okay. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah I w- was looking to see if it was in print physically, and it is sadly not in print physically, but uh, High Dive um, still has streaming rights. Okay, that is awesome. Yeah, we watched the old uh, mid-2000s DVD release. Uh, we actually watched it subbed this time. Usually we watch dubbed. Uh, mainly because I was a little hesitant to subject myself to an early 2000s dub. <laughs> well, been there and been burned. <laughs> it, it's probably fine, but I, I didn't really want to risk it for 12 straight episodes. I caught a bit of it because um, what will sometimes happen on the high dive player, which is for all of the um, uh, AMC um, networks money that they have to throw at it, uh, still a bit, still a bit iffy in some respects, and sometimes it will default when starting up or resuming an episode to the dub track. So I'd catch bits of it here and there, and what I heard was fine. Um, I mean, this was a. This is an ADV dub, so it, it has it has the actresses and actors that you expect with an ADV dub. There's a there's a few big names in there. Wendy Lee is on the cat in the cast as CL. Um but otherwise it's like Michelle Ruff, it's Steve Cannon. Like if you've listened to ADV dubs in the mid two thousands, you have heard these actors before. Yeah. Um so, um, this was based on the first visual novel put out by Type Moon, 
written by Kenoku Nasu, which is why we're doing this for the month of Nasuvember. Uh, and this basically their inaugural title um unlike a lot of other fa uh, visual novels that came out from um type moon this one until re very recently didn't get like a big re-release on consoles with the adult material stripped out and that sort of thing so this was strictly a anime adaptation of what at this point was an arrow game. Um, and that said, they did remove a f the majority of the um, explicit and sex material, sexual material from the work. Um, and it generally, that aspect of it worked fairly well. We are, there is the giant elephant in the room, which is the game in question has um five routes five full routes which have about as much plot material as like a full route for like something one of the, the fate stay night routes and this is a 12 episode series as we have mentioned earlier so um yeah so there was a lot of material that that was not able to make it in and uh just as a heads up, I, I personally have not read this visual novel. Uh, it, it's on my list. <laughs> I, I, I've got it available. I just need to, you know, put in the time to actually Keep read your it. computer back from me. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where this is going to take me a while, so I want to have like I've got I've had the files to read it for. Mm, Eight-ish years now, but it's just a time investment. Yeah, what if, so I have not been able to get for myself. Yeah, the good news is, where there's a remake coming out, which is done being done for consoles as well as PC, so it has the sexually explicit material or some of that stripped out, the porny material stripped out, um, and that's apparently due to come out in English next year in the summer sometime. Awesome. Um, I pre-ordered the Switch version because I pre-ordered the Switch because I got the Switch version of Witch on the Holy Night, and I, with it from a text size standpoint and just a general vibe standpoint, or not vibe, but uh, portability and playability standpoint, the Switch works well. I think for visual novels, same for the Steam Deck in this regard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'll be picking up that way. There is a browse somebody managed to adapt the game to play in a web browser, which might actually be a good way to do it. Cause so I, as my prep for this, there's a podcast which I'll link to in the show notes called fate moon archive, which is a retrospective of the entire Nasuverse franchise and that sort of thing. And they're doing like in like hyper in depth let's plays of, or our playthroughs and discussions of like the games where there are like, they will split a route over three episodes, each one like three to five hours long. So I was not able to make it through all of their discussions of the game just because I didn't have enough time to listen to all that podcast, but I got through most of it. And I, I bring this up and I bring up the browser thing. So the game was just came out. The original game came out in 2000 
and it was designed for monitors of the year 2000 and the screen resolutions of the time. So it is like 680 by 480 or something like that windowed and in a four by three ratio. And then if you maximize it for your 4K, for your modern 21st century 4K 16 by nine monitor, it's not gonna look great. Um, so, but there is the, the web version, which like, apparently just came out like a month ago from what I saw and found <laughs> on Reddit. So that might be a way to, if you're going to play the game, um, that might be a decent way to do it. Um, so other than that, I'm going in, have, what was your familiar, so aside from having the, the game around for a while, what other familiarity did you have with the anime by reputation? Um, my younger sibling is really into Melty Blood. <laughs> uh, it's done tournaments on that. So, I, I've played a couple of the Melty Blood games, so that, that's kind of as close to my familiarity. Like, I had no idea what the storyline was. I knew it involved vampires. But... I had nothing. Uh, you, you know, I kept wanting to call Ark um, Nero and... <laughs> other difficulties but um, you know i went in kind of open-minded because i wasn't really i don't know i had no expectations i guess is what i'm trying to say but i will say yeah like watching through it i will say it definitely feels like the middle step between um garden of sinners and fate stay night yeah i, I have could... a uh, sorry go ahead oh, go ahead I have a grudging admiration, actually, for how they adapted it. Because I because I went in knowing it was from a visual novel, but I don't know the visual novel. I don't know the story. Um, right up until the final episode, we were looking at each other like, where is this going? Like, how are they going to how are they going to resolve this in any kind of satisfying way? They do actually stick the ending, in my opinion. You spend most of the series just wondering what the heck is going on and, and guessing like, Who's Roa? Um, what is up with this family? You know, you just have so many questions. Um, and then it, it ties it up and it has this kind of like nice, like sort of semi-tragic ending that I actually kind of appreciated. Um, so they took, let's say, a, a metric truckload of plot and they did manage to tell a compelling story with it in just 12 episodes, but it is obvious that there's a lot of information that you don't get. Yeah, like, there, there's a ton of answers, probably, that came up in the other routes, um, but I don't know how faithful an adaptation of it is, as I mentioned, but I will say it is a successful adaptation, because it tells a story well. It tells a complete story, Obviously, there's a lot of little extra things you know, like, oh, I wonder, but nothing that, like, seriously detracts from the story as a whole. So, it was successful, which up until the last couple episodes, I was not certain it would be. Yeah, right up until the end, I was like, where's this going? Where's this going? Where's this going? <laughs> um, there, there are a few things that are, that could have been adapted a little better. Um, the, the plot line with the childhood friend girl character is important for two episodes and then you really never hear about her again. 
Um, uh, except uh, for that one time they go to the amusement park. Yep. Uh, Satsuki? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you, you never get a satisfactory answer as to what's up with Akiha <laughs> in the anime. I think that's like the one thing... I don't know. I thought that was pretty clear. How is it clear? Like, is she a vampire or what? What is her deal? <laughs> She's a descendant of a vampire. I don't think they ever say that. No, they didn't. No. They mentioned that, you know, that, that basically their descendants, uh, the Tono family, are descendants of Roa. They never said that. They did. No. Yeah. You know, there's the monster, you know, there's the monster blood. And that's the reason Roa came to the Tonos is because he basically followed that line. What? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they did. <laughs> they explained it a one line. Yeah, they explained it a little bit in, in a single line of dialogue. Um no. which is like so like from what I picked up from the podcast, um and took from took from that going into this anime. Uh which admittedly again that was like probably twelve times because I got through four routes, that's twelve times four. Um that that that's like forty eight hours yes. of listening. <laughs> More or less. Um, anyway, um, that's way too much listening. Too too much to just a single podcast to do for homework for a, an anime um, that I could reasonably recommend. They basically went through like four routes um, into into this anime, um, covering s- some of CL's route, some of Arcoid's route, some of Akiha's route. No, because it was just three. So CL, Akiha, and um, uh, Arcoid's routes basically adapted here. Uh, Hisui and Kohaku's routes are kind of brushed over. Uh, they don't really get too much into them. Yes, those two, the, the maids, uh, uh, I want to know more about them. There's clearly something going on there that we weren't, we weren't privy to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that uh, was true of a lot of everything. <laughs> Yeah. Seal. Okay. Okay. No, I get it. I get it. Oh. Okay. Now, now, you're, now you're definitely doing that uh, goth alternative look. Look with the uh, short black oh, yes. dress and Seal's, a lot of tattoos. Seal's sudden between scenes <laughs> costume change. We were like, wait, when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> she just realized. Wait, Shiki isn't into the gun look. What does he like? Let's strike off the road. CL is alive at the end of the show means that the cycle will repeat, right? Because she can't die as long as Ro is still alive, so he's just going to regenerate into a new body and it's going to happen again, right? I'm not clear if it's regenerate or actually straight reincarnate. So, um, this is one of the things that gets explained better in the game. Unsurprisingly. So, in the game, it's when, it's um, CL's aging Rose from when she was possessed, but previously possessed by um, the body hopping antagonist of um, of uh, um, Roa, and with his defeat, she will now age normally. Um, okay. So she's still like a twenty something, she's like a twenty year old in a eighteen um, year old's body, but um, now she just no longer has the regeneration and will age normally. Um, 
and from the yeah. and everyone's the, ages was very confusing for me. And then, like, the implication is also that um, uh, Shiki got Roa in his death point. Um, yes. And so that actually permanently destroyed Roa because the, okay. oh. the mythic eyes of death perception can kill anything even at the conceptual level. Well, they, they mentioned this briefly in passing, even at the conceptual level. Yeah. Like, did. Did oh, Roa have Mystic Eyes of Death Perception as well, or no? Because it was unclear. He seemed he had a lesser version of it, because as Shiki pointed out in the end, it's like you can see the lines on people, but Shiki could see the lines on everything. Yeah. And I actually was familiar with the Mystic Eyes of Death Perception thanks to uh, Garden of Sinners, because yep. its protagonist has the same power. Yep. Doesn't Gar- this come up in? Um... Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but the Clock Tower show. Uh, oh yes, yes. yes. Mystic Eyes in um, uh, Elbeloy case, uh, case files. Elbeloy's case files. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So Not death perception, but yeah, Mystic Eyes. Kind Mystic Eyes in general, like yeah. Um, to mention, like this is not the first thing that uh, Rasukihima is not the first thing that Nasu had came out with. He had put up, written the novels for Garden of Sinners and a novel version of um of uh, which on the holy night first but um like he hadn't like properly published which on the holy night and um garden of sinners was just published as basically like small press independent novel kind of thing at um comicettes so like this is you could kind of see this as being a polishing of the concept of um a more polishing of a bunch of concepts coming to this game. Mm-hmm. Of course, those will get get published polished further when we get to the anime adaptation of Garden of Sinners, but that's for a later time, possibly. Um, Maybe next semester. Indeed. Uh, so I have a few things I wanted to mention since I came into this with no expectations, right? Um, and you mentioned that a lot of the you know the etchy stuff, the porn stuff, had been cut. I would say pretty much everything was cut. Except for one scene where they are clearly naked in bed together. One scene that could have been slid into and that was actually American television. I was actually surprised to see that. You don't usually get that in anime, like any hint of, of intimacy. It's almost like 1920s silent film code or whatever. Um, so for me, it was like there was almost no itchy content whatsoever. And I also was really interested in, in, in Shiki himself, in the protagonist, because it's actually kind of refreshing to have a protagonist who is surrounded by potential love interests, but he is clearly more focused on the weird supernatural shit going on around him, as you probably should be, right? Like, <laughs> he seems just oblivious most of the time. <laughs> So, from what I picked up from the podcast, in the game, it is exclusively from Shiki's point of view, and he serves mm-hmm. as an internal narrator, so we have yes. um, full awareness of his of what he's thinking. And so some of this does get kind of male-gazy or um, pervy or that sort of thing with him. Um, think, oh yeah, um, I I think uh, uh, Hisui is really cute. Um or um, that sort of thing. Um, 
Also, you mentioned that we don't get that much plot about Satsuki. That is also a problem with the game. Like she kind of disappears partway through the first half of the, uh, the, the first couple arcs of the game. And in the second couple, the, the, the game's divided into two halves, the front half and back half. The front half is like everything with CL and Arcoid. And then everything in the back half is uh, the stuff with, uh, with Akiha, Hisui, and Kohaku. Um, and CL shows up at the back half, um, but Arcoid does not. And Satsuki shows up a bit in the back half where she turns out having been turned into a vampire. To have been turned into a vampire. Um, it almost, like her portrayal in the anime almost feels obligatory. Like here is the obligatory cute childhood best friend who's into you. Okay, she's here, and now we're gonna move on to the more interesting characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas in the an- sorry, uh, I was gonna say it's one of those things where I can tell that. Because these relations, you've got the, you know, normal, non, basically the mundane friends that sort of sit as a grounding and are establishing the world as our young protagonist knows it. There was a group of people just like that for Shiro and Fate Stay Night. Uh, these are the people who are, that he's lived his life with, that he's known friends and then there's like the new sudden influences that are changing the worldview. Right. And then his sort of, and then Shiki's sort of honestly rejection of her at the very end of the show kind of to me was more of a, his establishing that he's not going to go back to that normal lifestyle. He's going to continue in this sort of more arcane worldview. Yeah. Um, that, I thought that was an interesting cap to the show, actually. That's one of the last things we get. And it is it is implied that he rejects her love confession, right? Um, so we don't have any time with her to determine, like, what finally gives her the courage to, to go do that. Um, we, we get his, his male best friend just kind of like, well, that's how it is. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I do kind of like that um, as as a capstone to the story that the anime told because in the anime he was very much he was very much with Arcoid, right? He was, he, yeah. he was following her route pretty much. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't be with you. My girlfriend turned into the moon. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, classic uh, girlfriend turning into the moon situation. <laughs> I mean, like, like as it, as it happens. Um, like episode seven for I will say the, the episode where they go to the amusement park. That is completely new for the anime. Um, and what I think particularly like about that again, from what I picked up from the podcast, is like in the original version, like CL and Arcoid meet each other a bunch. Um. CL and Akiha meet each other like a couple times. I have like one or two scenes together, but you don't really get like all like the, these, all these characters like spending a significant chunk of time together. And it's very much a, if this were just a, if we didn't have the impending looming thread of the vampire murder going on in the background, this is the kind of slice of life 
um, semi-harem romantic comedy shenanigans that we could be getting. Uh, that was really a standout episode. I, I was going to say, I really love that episode because of the way it was very much framed of there's these four female characters, you know, Seal, Akiha, Arquid, and Satsuki. And just all of them are vying for Shiki's attention. And it really is, and each of them are a very different sort of worldview. You know, there's the longtime friend, there's the, you know, pretty upperclassman, there's the, why is the sister romantically involved here? This is just very confusing. Adopted. At the time, we didn't know adopted. she was. Yeah. At the time, yeah. we didn't know she was, adop- uh, yeah. he was adopted. Yeah. Uh, and but then, I mean, this is the foundation of storytelling, right? You get different characters with different wants and desires, or the same want and desire, but there's only one thing they can get. Put them together, drama happens. <laughs> I really liked it because of the way she was subdued throughout this whole thing. And, you know, he's trying not to say no to anyone. That's because, not pretty true to life. Yeah. <laughs> It's very much of, you know, I was like, which path in life are you going to take? You know, this is which future do you want? So, yeah, I really loved that episode. I think, you know, subsequent watchings are going to make it even better. Yeah, we agreed to go to the amusement park, even though I'm tracking a serial killer. All right, let's go. <laughs> I, I, I think we killed the serial killer. Actually, that wasn't the serial killer. <laughs> Who did we murder then? Oh, that was just an assassin. Why was there an assassin? (laughs) Almost just at the places where the murderer was doing stuff. Well, and and I like how all of them are warning Shiki off of all the three others. And they all think they have his best interests at heart, right? (laughs) Well, Satsuki wasn't really warning them off the others. She wasn't saying, don't go with them. She was saying, I want to keep you for me. Which... I think is interesting, but also very much more of a, you know, it is that childhood, you know, friend thing, you know, just yeah. as she was. It wasn't, you know, not denying, she wasn't trying to deny him stuff. She was trying to, you know, keep a piece of him for herself. And Don't change too much with these new weirdos you're hanging out. Yeah. And it helped with that sequence that at Satsuki came across as being the adult in the room in a lot of respects. Oh, oh God, definitely. Yes. yes. Uh, she is the youngest one there, and she is the adult. Agreed. <laughs> so, um... Yeah. But at one point, I think David and I looked at each other, and we were like, why this guy? Like, <laughs> this, is a, this is kind of a case of your... Um, in the visual novel, the, 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 the main character is like, you're supposed to be able to immerse yourself in them, so then when they translate it to the show, it's it, there are points where it doesn't seem like they have much of a personality, and it just kind of beggars belief that all these people are interested in them. <laughs> Although, I think in the last few episodes, they, they really, they really um, you got to see helped his portrayal quite a lot. Yeah, you got to see some of Shiki's actual personality. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, up to this, like, for the first half of the show, he seems like he's suffering uh, from PTSD. Like, he is that very subdued, sort of, very, almost hesitant about things. Like, he seems to be 
almost predicting a, a negative reaction to most things that he does, so he just tries to be quiet and go through with it. I think that's a lot of teenagers, honestly. Yes. <laughs> but, um, what was I going to say about that? No Riz. What? <laughs> no Riz? The guy has no Riz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he com- sometimes he comes off as an interesting character, but I think the majority of the show, when it's taking its time, he comes off as like, Oh, I'm so cool. I'm always thinking about more important things, and the women find that so attractive. And it, I kind of got bored of that, you know, after an episode or two. But <laughs> And then Ark was a little bit, just a little bit manic pixie dream girl, just for me. <sighs> yeah, I, this is very clearly a woman who does not know how to interact with people. And, you know, when you find out. She's an 800-year-old vampire who sleeps until she needs to kill somebody. I feel like we could have got more of her backstory earlier. Yeah. To help understand her a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Although I will say it does hit when CL asks Shiki, you know, why why are you going to go after her? And he's like, her life is just so sad and she's going to die alone. And it's like, yes, that does kind of hit, you know? like. <laughs> yeah, I will say that. One of the weak points of the show is the fact that most of the backstories handled via exposition in the penultimate episode. And it's just Sam telling Shiki what the hell has been going on. And then CL's like, oh, guess that story had the opposite effect I wanted. And it's like, um... Yeah. What did you think was going to happen here? <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? You can't her. She is a terrible vampire. Uh, she was okay. No, no, you understand. She is like the saddest, most tragic life. You need to stop it. I need to give that woman a hug. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> God damn, <Snow. laughs> like, uh, Okay, well, guess I gotta go golf, girl. Then. <laughs> so that, yeah, I think I I do have some pacing issues. I do not have vibe issues. The vibes of the show are great. You're always wondering what the heck is going on, and it's kind of unsettling and mysterious, and yeah. I will say, it definitely did that thing that NASA loves. It's not a whodunit. It's a whydunit. Like, you, you kind of know what's going on to an extent, but you have no idea why anyone's doing that. It's like, you know who's doing what, you don't know why. Just, there's just this long stretch in the middle. You just gotta cut it, stick out, and I think that's why the amusement park episode was so standout was because it was different from that, um, and the character drama was clear and well defined, and you weren't just wondering what is happening. Like <laughs> it, it's seriously, like, right up till the last episode, I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> it felt like a good dry run for some of the comedy elements that we get for Carnival Phantasm. <laughs> um, yes. In in the sense of of hey, what if we just did a uh rom com and we just just a sitcom plot? We'll just do a sitcom plot where oh, all of the possible romantic interests and the main character are at the same place at once and sparks fly. Um, or the Drama. sitcom or the sitcom arch nemesis and the, the or the main character and the sitcom arch nemesis are at the same place at once. And sparks fly, and sparks fly. Like you, you could like 
you could see potentially CL and Arcoid on like Arcoid meeting CL on the street and and having that sort of hello Newman response to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hello CL. <laughs> it's interesting looking at this show in comparison to Fate Stay Night's anime adaptations. Because it does, like, uh, Sikihime does contain the seeds of a lot of what then gets put into <laughs> Fate Stay Night. Um, but I, I do feel Fate Stay Night is superior. Um, I, I think to a degree, like, we'll eventually get into this one in more in depth and talk about Fate, but I think that Nasu learned a lot from Sukihime, both in terms of the game and in terms of the, and other studios in terms of the animation, in the sense of, yeah. of Sukihime again, five routes, each one full-length routes, and I can legitimately see Nasu coming out of that going, I can't write that much crap again <laughs> for one game. Or the um, character designer who does all the art for the games, uh, Takashi Takuchi, going, uh, Nasu, you're my, good, you're my good friend, so I have to tell you, I can't draw that much crap for a game. For a game. Let's just like to like have it. Like split. I can't do two and a half routes. You can round up. You can do three routes. But we just not three routes. One of which has two endings, which are very similar. Yep. It's easy to get carried away. I know this from my D and D world building. You're like, wouldn't it be cool if? And then before you know it, you've written twenty pages. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you can stop at 20. <laughs> uh, and then... Oh, Greg, I have to do that. And of course, the players don't even do that thing that, <laughs> that leads to that. <laughs> I, I was just trying to create a nice little town that accidentally created economics for half a continent. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, oh, no, the Pegasus train was going to be so important to this little village. <laughs> All this to say, I feel you, Nasu. <laughs> <laughs> I do definitely get the sense, like, also from this, when it comes to, like, later anime adaptations, like, like, rather than trying to do it all, we should just, like, focus on run route. Also, there's so much plot here. We need to try and get, like, a second core and to go for 24 rather than try to shove it all into 12. Because, um, like, that, that is, like, the ultimate kill. Like, even if we just focused on one route with the 12 episode series, you'd still have that problem of trying to shove uh, a ton of plot, an actual metric ton of plot into a 10 pound bag. I think fate comes off better um, because there's so much more combat in it. Also that it keeps things moving. Tsukihime, there are these long stretches where not a lot is happening plot wise. And you're kind of just left like, it just brings up more questions, and so your list of what what is going on here keeps growing, and and like then all the all the answers get doled out right at the end, right? And I think it's better to do it more incrementally. <laughs> I mean, even Fate sort of had the backstory introduced as exposition by a Kotomine, the priest, but. That was handled at the beginning. At least you go in with a base level. It's like, okay, <laughs> the world. Oh, shit! Legends are fighting! Why? Here's why. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm gonna have to fight, aren't I? 
Unless you want to bat him, sure, yes, you will have to fight. But I mean, obviously, they, they did learn a lot from this anime adaptation, because the Fate anime adaptations are really strong. Um, Tsukihime obviously made with kind of a standard standard anime budget. The animation isn't anything spectacular. There are some points where the character's feet become teeny tiny non-existent. Hey, we all have our life. Liefeld moments. Um, there, there are some moments where the face models are just slightly, like... <laughs> How long is your face supposed to be? Um... And I mean, generally it looks fine, but it doesn't look amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and this is this is JC staff, so so they have done better, and they would by this point they would do better later. But this does give this different sense of like we're not sure if we're like like how much a game we're we're we're, we're doing on this, how invested we are personally, because I think it's the other thing that helps the other ones, it's like particularly once you get to the UFO table adaptations. Where UFO tables like, yes, we are big fans of Nasu and, and his stuff. So we're gonna make all uh, out. Yeah, we are gonna Also, yeah, uh, UFO table, Ufotable. I, thought it was Ufotable. I think that's just the way I like I to pronounce it because it's way. fun to say that way. <laughs> yeah. But they also show like they they adapted uh, the unlimited blade works and then also Fate Zero. And 